0: Hi everyone, I'm Miles. I'm a friend and colleague with Pastor Daniel, and it's a huge privilege to be invited to speak with you at The City. This season has been a really crazy time, hasn't it, for all of us and a tough time. And I'm so encouraged to hear that you're starting an Alpha at your church soon, an Alpha to to reach out to those outside of the church, to come and explore faith and life and meaning and have a place to ask their questions and to process some of what we've all been through and this is so encouraging because it shows that your church still has loads of vision and is outward focused in its posture and and i know that the lord is going to continue to use you to see his kingdom come in the city as it is in heaven so therefore today i want to talk to you about catching a vision catching a vision about evangelism and also catching a vision for your life. And we're going to look at a passage from Luke's Gospel when Jesus called the first disciples through a miraculous catch of fish. And so my talk is entitled, The Art of Fishing, How to Cast Our Nets with Jesus. Now, it's important to note right at the start that Jesus was already at work Uh, even before he called the disciples. He was by Lake Gennesaret, uh, that's also called the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sea, it's just a really big lake, 150 feet deep. And he's there on the shore with the crowds around him and he's teaching, but there's too many people. So he sees a fishing boat uh, just on the shore there. These boats typically had a four-man crew and he steps into one of them and gets them just to put out a little from the shore. Then he turns around to face the shore, to face the crowds, and he sits down. That's what rabbis always did just before they are about to teach, they'd sit down. And he begins to project his voice to the crowds with the hills behind them, sort of providing natural amplification. He was already at work. And I know that Jesus is already at work in your city, in your church, in your life. But in this passage, Jesus does step into a boat of a particular man called Simon Peter, the one he'd then go on to call to do amazing things. Coincidence? No. Divine appointment? Yes. And I believe that today Right now as you're watching this message, in a way it's a divine appointment and as Jesus steps into the boat of your life and as you in obedience just put out a little from shore, he's going to do amazing things and you'll be astonished at what happens. So let me read the passage to you. This is Luke chapter five, verses one to 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Amen. What is Jesus saying to you and me today through this passage? Number one, don't let the past dictate your future. In verse five, Peter says to Jesus, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, the fishermen were having a no fish moment. We've all had no fish moments in life, particularly this past 18 months, right? I wonder right now, what is your no fish moment? Maybe it's a financial no fish moment or a job related no fish moment. Maybe you're having in the area of relationships, a no fish moment, or maybe a spiritual one. Maybe you're feeling dry right now. What is your no fish moment? Or, or perhaps you're thinking, look Miles, I, I this means I haven't been successful yet, or I've not been used by God yet, so maybe I won't in the future. But this is not how it works. Actually, if you read the Bible, what you see again and again is it works like this. First, you get a vision, then you get a whole load of problems, and only then comes the fulfilment of the vision. So, Think of Abraham, you'll birth a nation, but then you can't have children. Or Joseph, he has a vision, his whole family bowing down to him. But then he's sold into slavery and ends up in prison. You see, the bigger the vision that you have, the bigger the no fish moments to begin. But I want to encourage you, if you're in a no fish moment right now, I want to declare, it's not how your story ends. Keep going. Or maybe you feel, look, I'm just not worthy to be used by God. In verse eight, we read, that's exactly how Simon Peter felt. He says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You know, this is such, an encouraging verse because it shows us that God chooses and uses sinners, even sinners like me and you. You know, in Jesus' day, the brightest young boys were made the disciples of rabbis, but the rest of them had to go and get a profession like fishing. So Jesus did not call the brightest and the best. Now, please don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying you're not bright, I'm sure you're very, very intelligent. But the point is this, Jesus chose those who had had not been chosen by others. Perhaps sometimes you feel like you've been a little overlooked and undervalued. That was also true of David in the Old Testament. Remember how when, Samuel was sent to the family of Jesse to f- find Israel's first king. He, he says to the father, can I see your sons? And, and the father pre- processes all of his sons before Samuel. But the Lord says, nope, this is, none of these guys is the man for the job. So Samuel says to the dad, are you sure you don't have any other sons? And the dad goes, oh, oh yeah, there is the youngest, David, but he's out with the sheep. He was overlooked and undervalued, but when he is brought before Samuel, God says, he's the man for the job. You know, if you have felt a little bit overlooked or undervalued in any aspect of your life, that is not a predictor of your future. God looks at the heart. He's not forgotten you. But maybe you think, yeah, Miles, but that's the problem. You don't know me. You don't know my heart. I'm not who you think I am. Well, I I know how that feels. At various times in my life, people have thought that I'm somebody that I'm not. Actually, pretty much every time I go to China, I get mistaken for, I'm going to have to take my glasses off here. I get mistaken for being Nicolas Cage. Now, I don't think I look particularly like Nicolas Cage, but for some reason in mainland China, they think I look like Nicolas Cage. I've had people wanting to take selfies with me, asking for autographs, all of that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not who you think I am. We can often feel a little bit like that in life, a bit of an imposter. But you see, with God, there can be no imposter syndrome. He knows you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows how many hairs are on your head and his grace is sufficient for you and me. There's no imposter syndrome with the Lord. He loves you. This is why Jesus says to Peter, when Peter says, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. He says in verse 10 to Peter, don't be afraid. He says that to you today as well. You can overcome your fears. You can be yourself and know that God has chosen you. Don't let your past dictate your future. The second thing I think we learn from this passage is this, be obedient in the small things. God often asks us to obey him, first of all, in small things, and if we do that, then he asks us to obey in bigger things, and so on. So the fishermen were having a no fish moment and Jesus then tells them to do something rather strange. In verse 4, he tells them to let down their nets again. Why is this strange? Well, firstly, it was now daytime and you don't fish during the day back then. Why? Because the bright sunlight of the Middle East forced the fish to go much, much deeper down in the lake, too deep to catch. You know, it often feels like the wrong time to to step out in faith, doesn't it? It never really feels like the right time to try and do evangelism. In a pandemic, really? Jesus says, now's the time, trust me. The second reason why this advice seems strange is because the fishermen had already been out all night and they'd caught nothing. They'd come to the conclusion there were no fish. Maybe you've invited friends or colleagues or family members uh, to church events in the past or uh, maybe you've invited your neighbor to try something at church or Alpha before or whatever and it's felt like no one's biting. There's just no fish. Well, Jesus says to Peter, and I believe he says to you and me today, no, no, trust me, there are plenty of fish out there. And the third reason why this seems strange advice is because it was coming from Jesus. Rabbi, yes. Carpenter even, yes. But fishermen, really? But then Simon Peter utters these five words that literally changed the course of history. And I believe are five words which if you utter today will transform your destiny as well. In verse five, he says to Jesus, but because you say so but because you say so. In other words, God uses our no fish moments to lead us to, but because you say so, obedience. In desperation, let us obey. Let me say that again. God uses our no fish moments to lead us to, but because you say so, obedience. And there's a, there's a progression in the kingdom of God If we're obedient in the small things, God then asks us to obey him in bigger things. So the fishermen in this passage, right? First of all, Jesus says, just put out a little from shore so I can teach the crowds. They obey. So he then says to them, okay, will you put the boat out into the deep? And they obey. Then he says, okay, why don't you just drop your nets again? And they obey. So he then finally asks them, to leave everything, to follow him and fish for people. And they obey. So don't despise the day of small beginnings. And if you don't know where to begin, just start where you are, with your family, your workplace, your school, your neighbor. Ask God to use and redeem that which you know. You know, the the disciples knew how to fish. But we read in verse 2 that they were just cleaning their nets. When the church stops evangelising, it starts washing its nets. It's a good thing to do, but it's not what the nets were meant for. And in Alpha, you have one of the most effective nets in the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes what they knew and made them fishers of people. Likewise, as you step out in but because you say so obedience, expect God to multiply and to grow. Fairly recently, I've had the privilege to get to know uh, a 30 year 30 year old Filipino guy who lives in the Philippines. His name is Jason Vergara. He worked in a bank and then he felt the Lord ask him to obey, to quit his job and to go as a missionary to the mountainous rural villages a couple of hours outside the city. So he obeyed and he started his missionary work there, taking the gospel there at the start of last year, 2020. Now, these rural mountainous villages, that whole area area is really known for two things. It's a centre of occultic practices and it's known for drugs. And Jason just wanted to to bring the gospel to the young people in that area who were being trapped by these things. So around about March last year, he ran his first Alpha. It was in one particular village. He invited the young people. Uh, He ran it under a tree outside, just with his laptop to watch the videos. And then they had small group and snacks. Seven teenagers came and uh, amazing things happened in their lives. God set many of them free. So Jason thought, oh, okay, I'm gonna keep doing this. And then every day he would walk from village to village starting uh, alphas in all of these rural communities. In fact, last year alone, he helped start 66 alpha courses. 1500 young people went through. Now, what happened was he then started getting death threats from the local witch doctors because people were being set free from uh, powers of darkness. and and embracing the Christian faith, joining their local church. But Jason kept going. He said, I'm not gonna be afraid of this. And then he was invited to uh, run Alpha into one of the local prisons. And as a result of that, the local government said, look, would you be able to uh, help all of these drug surrendees to go through Alpha as part of a program to help reintegrate them into society? Jason said, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. And he's now started doing that, but now he's getting death threats from the drug lords. But he's not going to stop. He's taking one step after another in growing obedience. I said to him just recently, you know, all these drug surrendees, there's 5,000 of them. How are you going to do it, Jason? And he said, well, I started just with seven teenagers, but as a result of running all these alphas, I've now got 53 young leaders and they're going to help me do it. I recently chatted to two of them, uh, a woman called Francis and a young guy called Leo who had their lives transformed. They're now also going from village to village, helping start these courses. It's amazing how God can multiply when we say yes, but because you say so, obedience. And then the third thing we learn from this passage is to watch out for new possibilities. The disciples had come to the conclusion that there were no fish. But Jesus says, I know, there's lots of fish. Just try another way. And we read this in verse six and seven. When they had obeyed and dropped their nets again, it says this, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. In other words, God uses no fish moments to lead us to but because you say so obedience resulting in boat sinking abundance. God uses our no fish moments to lead us to but because you say so obedience resulting in boat sinking abundance and verse nine says that they were then astonished at the catch prepare to be astonished at the way the lord will use you and you know alpha is a sort of different way to fish there are lots of different models of evangelism and i guess the church needs all of them. There's one-to-one sharing, there's apologetics, there's big stadium evangelism, there's evangelistic services, there's community events, etc. But Alpha is a bit of a different way. It is friendship, it's a relational based process evangelism. You know, conversion is often a moment in time, but there's nearly always a process up to that point. And Evangelism as a process up to that point is what Alpha is all about. It creates space and time for people to process their questions and to make an informed decision all done in the context, safe context of a small group where there's fun and friendship and community. And actually, Alpha Online works just as well as well. Last year, uh, we ran an early adopters survey with 207 of the first churches to run an Alpha Online, half of which were in Asia. And what we found was they told us, look, it's dead easy to invite guests to come and try Alpha Online and they love it. The guest retention rate throughout the 11 weeks of the course is huge. It's 87% on average from that survey. So Alpha works both online and face to face. And it's something that we do together as partners. Everyone has a role to play from praying for the Alpha to helping with the admin or the tech, to being the ones inviting friends, colleagues, family members to come and try, to leading the small groups or helping on the small groups. Everyone has a role. You know, in verse seven, we read how the catch of fish was so large that they had to signal to their partners to come and help. We all need to be involved. So don't be a consumer, be a contributor. And we need unity in the church. the catch is so large that we're told the net begins to tear. The Greek word there for tear is schismo, from which we get our word, schism. And sadly, throughout much of church history, we read of church schisms. But you know, There's no need for that. Actually, this this subtlety of the net beginning to break. I think John picks up on this when he records his gospel. What do I mean? Well, in John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead after being crucified and he recalls the disciples, if you remember. And just before he does this, before he appears to them, we read one of the saddest verses, I think, in the whole of scripture. Jesus has been crucified and and the disciples are there and Peter says, oh, I'm going back fishing. Do you wanna come? And they go, yeah, okay. And they go back to their life before Jesus and unsurprisingly, it was unfruitful. They catch no fish. And then the risen Jesus appears on the shore and he says to them, have you caught anything? And they say, no, he goes, okay, just, try throwing your nets on the other side. And they do so. And it's almost a carbon copy of the miracle of when Jesus first called them here in Luke 5. Such a big catch of fish, they realise it's Jesus, he's risen. But there's one difference in the miracle in John chapter 21. John specifically says, in spite of the large catch of fish, there was no tear, no schismo in the net. Why was that? First calls them, the net tears, then he recalls them, no tear. How come? Well, the difference was you now had the cross and the resurrection. You see, on the cross, Jesus's body was torn once and for all so that we Now the body of Christ, the church here on earth, never need tear again. Instead, we are unified as we proclaim Christ. And I want you to see the bigger picture of what God is doing and how he's going to use you as a community. You may well have heard or or read some of the work even of Francis Schaeffer, that great Christian writer. He also used to run a retreat center in a place called Labri in Switzerland. And when people used to go to Labri and stay there in the chalet with Francis Schaeffer, at one point he'd then say to them, let's go on a walk, follow me. And he'd take them out and the chalet was at the foot of the Alps there in Switzerland. And he'd take them up uh, a mountain and part of the way up, he'd stop on this little ledge. It was just like a little muddy ledge with some water trickling down from where the snow was melting above. And he'd say to people, "Um, do you know where you are? And they'd say, "Uh, on a muddy ledge? And he goes, no, no, no. (laughs) He said, where you're standing right now is the intercontinental divide. You see, as the snow begins to melt and the water trickles down. From this point, it begins to gather momentum. And right here, it has a decision to make. If the water begins to run off to the right-hand side, it'll eventually go into the River Rhone and from there into the warm Mediterranean. Or if it trickles off to the left, it'll go into the River Rhine and from there into the cold North Sea. And depending which way it goes, it will then impact the weather pattern for the whole of Europe. Right here is the intercontinental divide. And I wanna say that Singapore is the intercontinental divide for Asia. And what happens in Singapore, what happens in your church, in your community, then, impacts the rest of the continent for Christ. What happens in the heavenlies, in the kingdom of God, in your church will then be part of what reverberates around Asia. You see the most important thing that Peter caught that day was not fish. It was a vision for his life. And three years later, that vision of catching people was fulfilled when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, preached, and 3,000 people were saved. Today, over one third of the people alive are Christian, indirectly as a result of that one man's, but because you say so, obedience. Just think, if you're watching this right now, and together, we all say yes, and take that step of faith. Together, we could change the world for Jesus. Amen. Let me just pray for you now, if I might. Um, we're just going to pray, come Holy Spirit. And uh, you might want to, you don't have to, but you might want to put your hands out in front of you as helpful body language. It's a way of saying, Lord, I'm open to receive all that you have for me. Kind of the opposite of this, which is, Lord, don't come near me. And we're going to pray that ancient prayer of the church. Come, Holy Spirit. It's a way of, yes, asking for more of the Spirit. But more importantly, it's a way of giving more of ourselves to the Lord. Saying, I want you to have every part of me, Lord, so that I can have the courage to embrace, but because you say so, obedience. So just echo this prayer in your heart. Just pray, Come, Holy Spirit. Would you fill me afresh right now with your presence? Would you pour your love into my heart by the Spirit and receive? that the Lord right now would say to you, leave everything and follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I I think there's someone you've been struggling with headaches here in your head, pretty nasty. Right now, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus. I command the the headache to leave you, to be gone for good. And for you to receive your healing in Jesus' name right now. Psalm 2 verse 8 also says, I will lie down and sleep in peace. If you're struggling with your sleep right now, again, just pray for you that your sleep issues would leave you right now in the name of Jesus. And even tonight, as you lie down in bed, the peace of God would flood your very being and you would sleep like a baby. Receive your healing in Jesus' name. And I I draw wanna pray for, I think there's also someone here there. Unfortunately in your family, it feels like there is a tear a schism in your family. I just want to pray for healing and reconciliation. I believe the Lord is anointing you for the ministry of reconciliation, as Saint Paul writes about to the Corinthian church. He's going to use you to bring healing and unity in your family. And I want to pray for those in the workplace. A fresh anointing and favour upon you for your work. Again, like the person in Psalm 1 that whatever you turn your hand to would prosper at work. Just receive that that anointing afresh right now. So Lord, we lift up to you this, this moment in time, unique moment in history. To cast the nets once again for you. We pray for an abundant catch for the city church. And we pray that what they do as they step out in, but because you say so, obedience would lead to boat sinking abundance and reverberate out from Singapore in ways they couldn't even imagine significance in the kingdom. In your name and for your glory, we pray all of this, Jesus. Amen.